0: Welcome to Rock RIT. Here we are again, fashionably late. I would love to tell you that things will be different going forward, but you and I know better than that. But I'm glad you could join us for this 22nd episode of the show. And our guest today is a real mensch of the fanzine world. I am talking, of course, about Tim Hindley, publisher and editor of Dagger, which is a classic, strictly music fanzine that enjoyed a 25-year run that ended in 2012. That's a long life by any measure, but Dagger is still somewhat unknown among music fans and geeks, myself included, so this interview is an attempt to correct that. Tim was kind enough to mail me some back issues that I quickly devoured. The writing is great. Tim's own contributions to Dagger are always big highlights. He is a versatile, gifted, gracious, graceful writer who has good taste, and his reviews have this knack for getting to the heart of the matter. The interviews he conducts are friendly conversations that often go deep and don't go for all the same bands and personalities. Tim is also the editor and brains behind a recent book, Where the Wild Gigs Are, A Trip Through America's Legendary Underground Venues, which was put out by the good folks at Hozak Records and Books. For the occasion, Tim assembled a bunch of really gifted contributors to share memories of their favorite music clubs. The concept is obviously genius, and that title is just perfection. So, without further ado, please enjoy this chat with Tim Dagger Heinley on RockRit. I'd love if you could take us back to the beginning of Dagger when you started it and why.
1: Yeah, you know, God. So there was, you know, so in South, you know, there in you know, grew up in South Jersey, a little town. It's about eight miles from Atlantic City. You know, you know, you know the the closest, you know, the closest big city is Philly. You know, Philly was about an hour's drive, you know, hour drive away. But yet, you know, so you know, South Jersey's really. Yeah, devoid of culture. I mean, you know, Philly might, could have, might, you know, might as well have been 20 hours away. You know, there was just not a lot, you know, the, you know, the casinos had come into Atlantic City, you know, just, you know, there were several, <coughs> several beach towns, but yeah, you, you, you know, just not, not a lot, musically not a lot going on. God, I'll kind of make this kind of quick. There was, there was a club in Margate that's like a couple towns away from Atlantic city, right on the beach called the ivory. That was kind of, you know, that was kind of, you know, that was like the the new wave punk rock club of South Jersey. I didn't start going there till like late 82, early 83. You know, I was still underage at that time. You know, I was still 18 didn't turn 19 till April of 83, but you know, you, you know, I had a fake, you know, they were pretty, <coughs> they were pretty loose on letting people in. Um, you know, yeah, you know, they're pretty loose. on many people and I had a good fake ID, but, but prior to that, in like 80, 80, 81. So, you know, some older friends of mine told me that, that they, they did have not a ton of shows, but, you know, the circle jerks played there, hmm. X played there, mission of Burma played there, you, you know, you know, again, this was like 1980. I was 16. I was still, you know, listening to, you know, whatever, you know, you know, definitely not those bands yet, but, um, uh-huh. yeah you know i mean so, so there, there was this guy this guy don Malavesi. you know he was um yeah you, you know he was kind of hip to that he was booked again I, I was too young i you know some of my older friends went to those shows so they were pretty crazy um and then summer of 85 this guy ralph he brought about five or six punk shows to atlantic city you, you know you know so anyway that yeah you know that was kind of like my you know my you know, my kind of real introduction, you know, going to hardcore shows, you know, you know, discovering at that, you know, at that point it was probably still just flip side and Maxim rock and roll, you know, maybe by 85, I think I had discovered like the big takeover, you know, Jack yeah. Rabbit, Zena in New York. So yeah. And, that, and then, you know, there was this friend of mine and such, this guy, Vic, Vic Garrison, you know, Vic still in Jersey, you know, great guy. He's, I always say that, you know, he was, he was kind of, he was like our, Kozik or coop. Like he had his as an artist, he had like that much talent. He could have been like one of those guys. Oh, wow. But he 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 did a zine. He did a zine called um little half-size, you know, digest one called the brain skillet I think he did that in 84, 84, 85. Yeah, he put out, I think he just did one one issue of the brain skeleton. You know, but you know, but again, it's like, oh cool, a lo- you know, a local guy doing a zine. And then the next year, he did two issues of uh BFD, Big Fucking Deal. Yeah, you, you know, and kind of right around then, him and a couple other, him and a few other guys were like, you know, Heinle, why don't you know, why don't you, do, you know, you're, you've always talked about writing and you're into this music, why don't you start doing a zine? And I was, I was like, yeah, 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 you know, you know, it's shit. Vic, Vic did a couple issues that, you know, I'm gonna. So that was like March of '87. Yeah, you know, March of '87 you know, I, yeah. So, you know, the first issue was March of 87. I was going to this community college in South Jersey and there was a print shop. There was a print shop right there on campus. And that's, yeah, you know, the gal, the gal there, this gal who worked there, she, she, she printed up the zines for me. So that was, yeah, that was, that was the first issue.
0: What was that first issue? Like what, it sounds like hardcore punk was kind of your bread and butter at the time, Tim
1: yeah 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 you know you know hardcore punk but you know at that you know at that time I was also starting to get into like you know that. I hadn't done my first interview yet that was that was just all reviews um yeah you know still you know still like a lot of the discord stuff nasty, um you know Descendants stuff like that but I was also right around that time in 87 you know I had already seen the butthole surfers at that point so you know butthole surfers you know moving targets Scratch acid. You, you know, there was, uh, I was kind of starting to move away from the hardcore stuff, you know, into kind of this kind of that weirder, kind of like the weirder realm and, you know, starting to kind of expand a little bit and just start checking out some other bands. There was this place in Trenton, City Gardens. I don't know if you heard of it. It was a oh yeah, absolutely yeah right right yeah yeah, yeah you know from like eighty five to like ninety that that was that was kind of like one one of my homes away from home you know home away from home. There were other zine editors too you know who would go to shows or yeah yeah you know so you just kind of walk around hey you know just kind of trying to sell them like hey you want to buy a zine?
0: Do you feel like fanzines didn't get their due at the time? Like people would just brush it off and say yeah I'm not interested in that.
1: Good fanzines probably got their due you know ones that are mine that had a lot of typos and you know a lot of the photocopying wasn't great photos looked really grainy you know i mean those yeah so i, I don't know i don't know there was yeah you, you know there definitely there definitely was there definitely was some fanzine love you know there was a zine it was either out of trenton or the New Brunswick, called Hard Times. Remember that one? It was. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was like it was glo- It was like really thin, so like not a lot of pages, but it was really it was glossy. It was black and white glossy cover, you know, glossy pages throughout. Yeah, you know that was I would see that guy sometimes. at city it, like there was one, you know, one issue they had like, Glenn Danzig on the cover, and I think like Lydia Lunch is on the cover of another. Um, But I I did want to say that, yes, so the first issue, I didn't do any interviews, but then the next issue, uh, that was in May of 87, I I saw Dinosaur, It was uh, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur, and Das Dom at City Gardens, and (coughs) Dinosaur, they had just gotten the plug pulled on them, you know, I think they showed up late, and they, yeah, you know, Randy, the booker, he didn't, you know know I mean, like, he didn't let him play the whole set, so he pulled the plug, you know, so I walked, (laughs) I walked up to Jay Mascus, and I was like, I was like, hey, you want, you want to, do an, want to do an interview for my fanzine? And he just like, I don't <laughs> think he utter, I don't think he had this look of disgust. You know, he's pissed off because they just got kicked off stage basically. So he, he gave me this total look of disgust, like shook his head and walked away. I But then right when he walked away, Lou and Murph were like, Hey, we'll talk to you. My my first Yeah. As I talked to like, was like my first interview I was talking to Lou and Murph and, you know i probably asked a lot of dumb questions but that was so that was like the second issue and my first my first interview with my little my little tape recorder that's amazing and
0: did you enjoy that process like over time did you enjoy doing band interviews as part of the zine
1: i did yeah 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 no, i no, I, did. I mean it, yeah you know it you kind know, you know, of gave you know it gave me a chance to like you know approach the band you know it's because i was always kind of a fan but i was too like i don't know kind of too like shy to kind of walk up and be like hey i really you know i really love your music but i sometimes I would do that but it all gave me a chance like hey I did the zine would you want to sit down for a few minutes and do an interview you know so that yeah you, you know it definitely made approaching them a little bit easier but yeah I did you know the transcribing part sucked that was like
0: just rewinding the tape back and playing right, it
1: and right playing oh my god the most thankless task ever like ever so I just I did it for like for years like years and years just but um but yeah, no. So yeah, yeah, I, I didn't, I did, I did enjoy the process for sure.
0: Do you have any other kind of interview horror stories? Any other folks that just just gave you like one sentence answers, and it's
1: just like trying to pull teeth? You know, most were. Let me think. Most were most were pretty cool. You know, there was a really funny interview with um, Urge Overkill at the uh, at the Court Tavern. That's like it was like a little bar in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It was like in the basement. There weren't shows there for a super long time, but I saw some really great ones there. But uh, yeah, the, the Urge Overkill guys, they kept, we were at this table and they kept like, I would ask a question and they would grab my recorder and kind of like, kind of whisper into it. You know, you know, they were saying like, sometimes whisper, you know, we're just talking, but you know, they had their kind of their backs turned. So I, you know, they were just kind of messing with me in a, in a fun way. In a yeah. fun way. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, 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 you know, so I didn't know you know, you know, I didn't know what the answers were. So for a good part of the interview, I didn't know what they were saying until I went home and and listened to the tape. So that, that was, that was, that was kind of funny. You know, the, the red cross guys were great. You know, they, they were, they were like, I was there with my buddy, Bob, and he was asking like a lot of like serious label questions. And, uh, at one point, Steve McDonald's was like, ah, come on, man. We don't want to talk about this shit. Let's, let's talk about the Partridge family, you know, you, you know what I mean? which is like what you would expect him to say. He actually said that. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I'm, God, I'm trying to think if there's any, the, cat. yeah, Ben, the Cows. you know, they were on AMREP. Yeah, you know, Shannon, the singer and the bass player, they weren't real forthcoming. They were, yeah, not kind of the friendliest chaps. The, the drummer was a really nice guy. The drummer was kind of like, you know, I mean, he noticed that they were, you know, not being the nicest guy. So he kind of was, you know, overcompensating, was really friendly.
0: You mentioned doing just reviews in that first issue and and you you branched out and started doing interviews in that second issue. I really admired this tight focus on music in in Dagger. It's just band interviews, tons of reviews, articles on like music related things like record stores. You didn't do like comic books or serial killers. Were you tempted to branch out or did you know from the start, I just want this to be about music?
1: Right. Yeah. No, I, I I knew from the start. Yeah. Just, just, just music. Yeah. I just, just, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I was never really a comic guy, you know, the, the murder can be stuff, fun stuff is cool. You know, but that's, that kind of really wasn't my forte. So I just, yeah, just kind of, this was just like, I'm just going to pack it full of, just ramble on about music for as long as I can pretty much.
0: Was it a collective thing from the beginning that you sent me a whole bunch of back issues, which I've been really enjoying, and you have quite a number of contributors there. When did other voices start to get involved?
1: You know, in the the early days, it was definitely me, my friend Bob, Bob Portella. Bob, he's an old Jersey friend who's turned me on to so many, it's like so much great stuff back in those kind of like crucial years, like in the 80s. I think Bob would occasionally write some stuff, you know, occasionally people would, but then in 92, that's when I left New Jersey, went out to California, you know, you know, at that point, you know, there were some, there were some buddies I had met, in, you know, in California and Santa Rosa, you know, who contributed. Um, and then, I, it, 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 you know, for a long time, my right hand man was my buddy, uh, Jer- Jeremy Greitz. Mm. He's a South, he's a South Jersey guy. He's, he's been in, well, between Brooklyn and Philly for the last like 25, 30 years or something. you know, he's done he like plays with like reckless Eric. Sometimes now he drummed for Fontaine from versus he drummed on her solo stuff. For, so he's kind of just played with a bunch of just kind of random different people throughout the years. But yeah, he was, yeah, he was, you know, he was like the main contributor for, a, for a long time, for a lot of years. You know, I would just, I think back then, I think I would just like, cause you know, I was getting like tons, you know, tons of promo CDs. And I think like every couple months I would just, you know, just pack together a big old box of CDs and mail it to him if I, I think is how I think is how I did it. So yeah, so yeah, you, you know so just kind of random assorted folks over the years. but yeah, Jeremy was a he was a contributor for a long for a long time.
0: Did that change the when other contributors started joining? Did that change the coverage at all? Did you end up covering things that were not like
1: reflective of your own taste necessarily? You know, you know, I, you know, I did, you know, I still reviewed all the same. you know, I mean, there'd be like sometimes some of the promo stuff would be maybe stuff that wasn't really up my alley, but you know, I'll mail this to Jeremy or I'll mail this to, you know, such and such. You know, I mean, and see if they want to review, but pretty, you know, pretty much through the, you know, I mean like through the nineties, through like kind of the heart of the zine when it was really going, it was, it was pretty much, you know, bread and butter indie rock for, you know, for pretty much most of those years. I, yeah, I didn't like, you know, like Forced Exposure had like their jazz section. Like I never, never did that. Like never really branched out into jazz or blues or, or anything like that.
0: Would you get promos that were totally inappropriate? Would you get like weird smooth jazz and like world music things that just could be fine, but have nothing to do
1: with what Dagger is about? You know, pretty, pretty rarely. Pretty, pretty yeah, I think most people kind of knew what it was about. And again, really rarely I would get something like that, but not, not very often.
0: And anybody that you would wanted to interview during the life of Dagger, but just never, it never panned out.
1: You know, God, there'd be like tons of people. Like I, you know, I mean, I'd i love to sit down and talk with like Stuart Murdoch, you know, from yeah. Balance Fashion, or I, yeah, you know, I did talk, I talked to Martin Phillips from the chills back in the, that would have been like late eighties, early nineties. You know, he was, you know, he was always one of my heroes. Me, you know, me and Bob, we, we interviewed Grant McLennan, in like a bathroom at a Philly club back then that right around that time he was he was great he was kind of like he was like making us work it was we, we were I think Bob and I were both like maybe a little bit drunk and I think at one point Grant was like come on work like like <laughs> maybe like our questions weren't good like come on work. like he was cool he was cool yeah. but, but he but yeah he was definitely like like you know kind of passionate about it you know like now like you know you know hindsight now I'm like. You know, I never saw The Gun Club, Oh my like, God, you know, God, I wish I would love to have talked to Jeffrey B. Pierce or, oh, yeah. you know, right, you know, so, you know things like that, like after the fact. But yeah, no, nobody that I can just think of immediately where it's like, God, I really wish I would have spoken to him.
0: I want to talk about the publishing schedule. So you seem to have cranked these out so fast. Did it feel that way at the time? Like, was it a ton of work or did it just feel like, yeah, this is just a part of my life. I, I just... Make time for writing some reviews and interviewing some bands and, and cranking these things out every few months?
1: It, 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 you know, both. It actually, it felt like, you know, it did feel like, it, you know, it felt like a ton of work. And it felt like, well, you know, God, this, this is just what I do. This is just, you know, this is just, this is my, you know, everybody's got their thing. This is just my thing. Yeah. You you know, that was in the nineties. I was single. I didn't have a, you know, now I, we have, I have a kid. She's almost 14 now, you know, my 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 wife, you know, I'm married, but I, uh, but yeah, you know, back then, I just think now I'm like, God, it's so much, so much free time. (laughs) I just had so much free time to be able to just to do this stuff. It's unbelievable just to think of like how much free time I had to be able to like crank out all those reviews and everything. But yeah, you, you know, I could never like, you know, never do that now. But yeah, you know, it was, yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, you know, it definitely did seem like, man, this is a lot of freaking work, but hey, I like it and it's kind of what I do and I am feel like I'm part of this scene and I'm doing, you know, so yeah, it all, it kind of, it felt like a, it was fun, but a lot of work at the same time.
0: One of my favorite parts of doing a zine back, back in the late 90s, early 2000s was getting emails and letters from people who said, hey, I'd I loved that piece you did. I, I love that kind of music too. I, I love that kind of art. Were you getting mail and correspondence from people, like minded folks?
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, first, like, you know, first letter was like, it was always cool when, you know, back in the early days I would get an envelope and open it up and there'd be like, you know, three, $1 bills. And they're like, Hey, Tim, send me the latest issue. You know? Oh yeah. You know, that, that kind of stuff was cool. You know, it's like, wow, it's, you know, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then during the email years, you know, it's like, Oh cool. I just got an email from Henry Owings from Chunklet. Wow. He knows who I am or, you know, just one thing that was really cool. Um, God, in the early, in the early, you know, after we got into Portland in the early 2000s, I did a phone interview with uh, <coughs> with Cliff from The Weirdos. And that, yeah, you, you know, and that was in one of those, one of those daggers again, the early to mid 2000s. Out of the blue, Greg Shaw, you know, from BOMP, I can't remember if it was a, a letter or an email. I can't remember which, what it was. But yeah, you, th- you, you would think I would remember what it was because it was from Greg Shaw, but I don't remember but yeah, he said, yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he sent me this. He's like, wow, Tim, I got the latest issue. You know, I've read a lot about a lot of stuff about the weirdos over the years. And that was one of the best interviews i had ever read about them. So thank you. I was like, wow, holy, wow. Holy moly. Great shots. Wow, thank you. You know, that was like, that was kind of a thrill. I was like, wow, awesome. That would be like a scene editor's dream letter, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I know. Again, again, I don't, I think, I'm thinking it was an email that he had sent me at rather, you know, rather than like a handwritten thing, but, but yeah, so that was that, you know, you know, that, that was super cool. So yeah, you know, there was definitely like, you know, like I, you know, back then I would correspond like, you know, Gail from Chick Factor, we would maybe trade zines or, you know, Liz, Liz Clayton, who did like wind up mm-hmm. um, who else, like, you know, Dave McGurgan, he did a Yakuza. That was a really great zine back then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a camaraderie with people who are into the same music, but it's kind of next level camaraderie with people who are into the same music and are also in the trenches doing zines covering this stuff too, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like, like with Gail, Gail uh, O'Hara, Chick factor, I met her. We had moved to Portland in 2002. And then I think she moved there about, uh 2005 2006 maybe maybe a little later right, right around and yeah so, so again yeah, yeah, you know again i had corresponded with her through the 90s you know really loving her zine but didn't actually meet her until she moved to portland yet, yet you know we became friendly there again the mid-2000s that was always kind of cool just meeting this guy greg dunlap greg and a guy named dan did a zine out of out of um, it was like the chicago area is called this I think they only put out three or four issues, but yeah, he moved to Portland. So again, he and I kind of became friendly and, you know, in the nineties in California, you know, I hung out with Jay Hinman, you know, from Superdope a couple, couple times, you know, we did not, not a lot, but we did, we did hang out a couple, you know, a few times, you know, Jay's a really great guy.
0: When did you stop doing Dagger? The print version of it, I should say, because it still lives in the Tumblr, but when did you stop? Doing- <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. Uh, you know, I think the final issue we moved here in 2012 to the Denver area. I think it was, I think 2012 was like the, like the last, <clears throat> like the last real issue. You know, I think I did a couple of, I did a couple like newsletters after that. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the actual last actual issue was, was right around 2012. So yeah, d- you know, just about 10 years ago.
0: Did you know in advance, like, this is it, this is going to be the last dagger or was it just a matter of you put it
1: out and then just lost steam or just other things happened? Right. I think, think, right. I think it was, I think it was more like, you know, right. I put it out and then just kind of like lost steam. You know, we, you know, we had a young child, you know, other, right. Other things just kind of happened and it just kind of, just kind of faded away. You know, I've, I've got a good, a good friend, Bill. He's an old New Jersey friend. He lives in Kentucky. And he works at a print shop. You know, he makes, people send me like stickers and t-shirts all kinds of cool stuff but he but he just just recently like in the last like month or so he's 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 like hey man you you know you should think about doing another issue Tim. he's like because he likes he's like the create i'm just like the writer he's like the creative guy who could make it look really really cool he's like the graph the graphics guy so just just like in the last couple weeks he's like after the new year let's think about doing i'm like all right yeah i could yeah definitely you know so i'm so we'll see maybe it'll uh Maybe it'll rise from the dead. That would be amazing. I would
0: <laughs> put me down for a coffee if
1: that happens, man. Absolute, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Sure will. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I hope. I hope it does. And I think. I think. I think it will happen. I think something will happen. I'll just. Uh, yeah. I'll keep you informed.
0: I'd love to talk a bit about where the wild gigs were, Tim. Where did you come up with the idea for this book? Like, was it something you'd been thinking about for a while, or just kind of dawned on you during the pandemic?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I, I even put it like in the, I think I put it in the introduction. I, I, I put it in the introduction of the book. I was like in like the late eighties, 87 to 89 ish. There was this club in Philly called Revival. It was, it was an old church. It was like, I think it was right off third street. Really, really cool venue. Um, I saw so many, so many freaking great bands there. The, the, just in those couple of years. Yeah. You, you know, and one day I just went to like Google it. I'm like, Oh, let's, and there was like there was like nothing there was like nothing about this club and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah, you know i probably shouldn't have been shouldn't have been surprised but i was like man you know here was this club in a major american city that all these great bands played and there's like like literally like nothing like nothing on the internet about it like absolutely nothing so yeah you know so that was that was like i was like "Hmm." i was like you know maybe i could just maybe I can just get a bunch of contributors and do a book about old, cool music venues like that. You know, that was, that was kind of like the, the, you know, the initial spark for like, hmm, you know, let's, you know, you know, I've got enough friends who are writers who'd probably want to, you know, want to contribute to this thing. And that, yeah, that was kind of like the, that was kind of how it started.
0: Did you have venues in mind or just contributors in different geographical locations across the country?
1: Right. Right. Kind of, yeah. Kind of just more, you know, just more like, you know, more like, Right, just different friends in different parts of the country. you, you, you know what I mean, like I knew, okay, somebody's definitely going to do CBGBs. Somebody's definitely going to do Maxwell's. You know, somebody's going to do the Whisk. You know, you know the the bigger, famous venues. I, I knew that, but yeah, it, 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 you know, ba- you know, basically, I let people, you know, I let people, cho- you know, choose their own venues. You know, so again, there's some classic, you know, classic ones that we all know and love, and then there's like, <clears throat> there was a whole bunch like. Mark Masters did this one on this like house in DC that just had shows for a couple of years, you know? And, you know, mm-hmm. so these, some people did these really, really either random ones or, you know, ones that were totally, you know, totally off my radar that were just like, whoa, that's, you know, that's cool. Have you, have you seen, have you seen the book, Arden?
0: I have not seen the book yet. I'm going to, I'm hoping to order the second one. The shipping is a little crazy to Canada. Yeah. i am that. i the second of the second,
1: uh, of the second Pretty, uh, the gotcha yeah which will yeah hopefully be done hopefully be done pretty soon i'm hoping
0: yeah that's exciting i mean the first one sold out like fast like within it feels like a couple weeks
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know i like i had a bunch of you know a bunch of friends and contributors were kind of like hyping it on facebook and yeah but you know next thing you know it was just it was it was gone but i was i was stoked you know there was um yeah you, you, you know it probably took the whole process you know from beginning and probably took, you know, a year and a half, you know, you know, you know, roughly a year. Yeah. Like roughly like a year and a half, you know, um, some folks really came through like Bob Burt, Jennifer from Royal trucks was like, I want to do CBGBs. And I was like, okay, fine. And then I, you know, they're right. And she was like, I got dibs on CBs and, I, and I'm th- you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I mean, I don't know her personally, but I'm thinking she could very well flake on this. <laughs> yeah. She did. Fair, what, what, fair, she did. You know? and, um, <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Burt was like, yeah. Bob Burt came in and d- he did CBs and a couple of other clubs. So he really kind of, yeah, he kind of saved my ass there. Uh, my friend Corey DeBrowa, Corey's like a, he used to write for like Magnet, a bunch of other magazines for years. Yeah, he did like four or five venues. You know, so it's um, most of the people I asked, most of them said yes, and most were like really, you know, really kind of stoked to contribute. You know, during the pen during the pandemic, a couple people got. <clears throat> got cold feet in the middle and were like, I don't know, I'm kind of losing my inspiration here. And then I kind of kind of gave them a proverbial foot up the ass and they, they came through (laughs) too. And so, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. In the end, it came, I was really, yeah, really happy with the way it turned out.
0: I'm curious how many of these venues (laughs) that are covered in the book are still active or are still open and
1: not many Gosh, I I should actually count. You know, there's, I did, I did bottom of the hill in San Francisco, which is still going. I did that one. You know, maybe, maybe between five and 10. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 You know, not a lot, not, not a lot. You know, Barbara Manning did this thing, the ping pong palace in Chico, California. I, I had never heard of it. I'm sure most people who read the book have never heard of it, but it was this, you know, when she was in Chico, it was a place that she and her friends went and it was, you know, yeah. It's just different, like random, totally like random places like that.
0: Do you have a favorite music venue from all the years you've been going to shows and the different places you've lived? <coughs> visited, is there a favorite place that you like to go see music?
1: You know, there's a place in, in Portland, uh, the Doug Fur, Doug Fur Lounge. You you may have heard of it. It's um it started going, I think, like in the mid 2000s. That, that's, you know, that's de- that's definitely one of my favorites. You know, they kind of they, that when they came in, they really. I think they opened in about 2005 or so and they really like <clears throat> they really changed the game it was like really like it was like a restaurant up it was an old motel so the motel's still there that got the motel got totally refurbished you know and then there was this other room where it was a restaurant on on top and then downstairs is the lounge where the bands would play but it was like you know it was really it was clean you know the food was good at the restaurant the bathrooms were clean you know it was a really it was a really cool looking place. They had all these Doug fur like logs, you know, like logs from Doug Fur trees throughout that was really cool. So it was a really cool, really cool place. And it, 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 you know, and the best thing about Doug Fur is they would you know, they would if they would if they said the opening band's going on at 845, the opening band would go on at 845. Yeah, you know, I mean huh. it, it was it was yeah, it was it was again it really then other clubs in Portland that really made them kind of like, oh shit, you know, we better we better up our game here a little bit, you know, you know, cause then other clubs, you know, kind of started, <clears throat> you know, kind of start taking the Doug Furs lead. So Doug, Doug, you know, I don't know if it's my all time favorite, but it's definitely, it's, it's definitely one of them. It's a, it's a great venue. We have a really, there's a really nice like mid-sized theater, the bluebird theater here in Denver. That's uh it's been going for a long time, but I've said, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. It, you know, it's like not, it probably holds like, I don't know four or 500, Um, you know, so not tiny, but not huge. That's, that's like one of my favorites, just like a really, really neat place. What else? That place Revival, that place, that place in Philly, (coughs) where I saw this, yeah, that, that was, that was a, that was a great one. That was a, that was a really great one.
0: Has your criteria for what makes for a good venue changed over the years, Tim? You're mentioning how the venue in Portland is like, clean clean bathrooms good food but thinking back to like your your grimy punk days at city gardens you know where you're like cool man the sound is kind of rubbish the staff are rude to you the drinks are cheap the bathroom is so dodgy like were these things that (laughs) you value or are these things that some of your contributors thought gave a place credibility and and appeal
1: yeah no yeah, no right De- definitely definitely it's definitely changed, you know, as i've gotten older right like i'm like oh doug Fur, it's got this really nice clean bathroom and the door not only does it have a door but you know, <laughs> but the, do- but the door locks locked it. too it was- it lo- yeah it's like wow that's that's a, right right back in the old days it was kind of like it's like oh who am, who am i gonna see it you know right it's like kind of who am i you know what bands are you know this ba- this venue books the best band so i like this one the best you know it's you know like city gardens back in my punk days they always had you know, you know, you know, everybody, I mean, shit, everybody played there, you know, and it was, you know, it was roomy enough. I always would stand, you know, you know, right at the front of the stage on the left hand. So that'd be like technically stage right, but it's not the left. You know, if you're looking up, it's on the left hand side of the stage. <clears throat> I would always just right against the stage, be there for almost every show. And it's funny, there's this, there's this photographer, Ken Salerno, you know, he's been around. I'm in, I'm in a ton of photos of his, just because where the photographer's So to stand would be like a little above stage left pointing kind of down at the venue so i was like always like kind of right in ken's you know right in his view of you know his sight line right there so I, i'm in like so many like like so many of his photos it's it's funny because again he just just from where he happened to stand and where i happen to stand like it's like like for the reissue of uh dag Nasty's, um we got at denko's there's a there's a f- Ken and a photo in there i'm in there right next to like peter corham Oh, and okay. there's this yeah, and there's this Henry Rollins there was I think it was the I think it was the very first ever Rollins band show it was at City Gardens. And um again, I'm right there at Henry's foot. Again, just because Ken Salerno was taking the photo and he just had we're just like we where is yeah, It's just kind of funny that I just happened to be in a whole yeah, you know, he's a friend of mine. and I also just happened to be in a ton of his photos.
0: We're talking about fanzines getting their due from music fans. Do you feel like venues don't get their due as well too? The focus is just on the bands but people don't care enough about these other aspects of music culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. You you know, and, and and that's, you know, and that's, that was why it was another reason why I wanted to do the book. I always felt like, you know what, there's, you know, there's books out there on bands and members of bands and even occasionally record labels, but yeah, not a lot of books, just on the music venues themselves. You know, I thought that, yeah, you know, I, so that that definitely was like an impetus for wanting for wanting to you know to do the book as well. Just be like, hey, you know, there was this there was this place in Philly. lasted only a couple of years, but man, it was just a great venue and it was a meeting place. And tons of great bands came through there. And I'm hoping I need to contact Todd at Hozak, but I'm, I'm you know I'm really hoping that I, he'll be into doing a volume too. I'm really hoping so.
0: Were there any venues that got, got missed out in this first edition that you would love to cover in the second one?
1: Yeah. You know, like a few people, you know, of course, you know, when people first get the book and look through it, they're like, Hey, wait a minute, where's blah, blah, blah. How come this is you know, it's, you know, like <clears throat> one friend of mine, she wondered like, uh, what was it called? The, the outhouse, the outhouse, I think it was Lawrence, Kansas. And I'm, I was like, no, just nobody offered to do, you know, nobody, you know, if, um, the Casbah in San Diego, I'm surprised because that's a pretty well-known venue that's still going yeah, it's still going strong. But yeah, it's again, I, was, I really thought somebody would be like, I want to do the cast, but nobody, nobody did the cast boss So the yeah, others. If there is a second volume, I don't think there's any, you know, there's definitely no lack of clubs out there for, for people to write about, you know.
0: And have you been going to shows since things have opened up a bit?
1: Uh, just you know, in the last couple of months, you know, I went to, <clears throat> I did go to Memphis for Goner Fest. That was uh, at the end of September. So just a couple of months ago, you know, that was my second, you know, my, my buddy and I went in, we went in September of 2019, y- y- you know, we had such a great time. We're like, we're coming back next year. And of course, last year, 2020, it didn't, you know, it was, it was like, you know, online, you know, like stream, but it wasn't like in person. So. You know, so that was great. You know, that was, I, you know, we did that in late September in Memphis and then just like in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've gone to a couple of shows, you know, I saw Nick Lowe a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. with slow street jackets. That was really good. Uh, the that band, the ocean blue that um, kind of Philadelphia or Pennsylvania dream pop band. They, I saw them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Waves. There's stuff coming like in early 2022. Like I think Dinosaur Junior's coming back. I definitely want to see them. Um, so yeah. So yeah. You, you know I mean. So, so yeah. You, you know. I am. I'm going, but it's you know, kind of just being, you know, a little bit cautious. I think a lot of bands are still kind of like, yeah, hey, we should maybe wait till 2022 and see what happens with this very You know, with this variant. How did you find the experience of streaming concerts? Uh, this is probably kind of a crappy way to look at it. But I was kind of like, you know, uh, I can do that on YouTube. I can go find, him, find him. you know, yeah. so it's, it, I probably should have been more supportive during all that. But I was just like, man, I, wanna, I gotta be there, I gotta be there in person at the show, right? You know, it's, you know, just not. Yeah. So that, I, again, I probably should have had a better attitude about that. But I, yeah, I didn't really. I didn't really do a lot of the st- streaming concerts last year.
0: Maybe among like your friends and people you've talked to, like, do you think the pandemic have made people appreciate the importance of like physical venues and the importance of these places to this
1: music? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, totally. Even like at that Nick Lowe show, there was about about eight or ten friends of mine went to that, and it was kind of like, hey, you guys, hey, we're you know, it was just great to see everybody again, and you know, we had all kind of, you know, seen each other kind of sporadically through the last couple of years, but it was just, you know, all being together at a show and is, you know, hey, and there's Niccolo on stage 10 feet away from us. You know, it was just that was it was really kind of cool and really special for sure.
0: What are some surprising things you learned when you were putting the book together? Any, any submissions, contributions you got there like, oh wow, I wasn't expecting this or just something that
1: surprised you. Man, it was a uh, it was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of work <laughs> One friend of mine described it as herding cats. I'm like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good description. Herding, you know, cause it's like, you have like, I don't know, there was like 60, 70 contributors and you know, you know what I mean? And it was just like, um, you know, just trying to get everybody, you know, reeled in and <clears throat> you know, that, that was, that was pretty tough, but it was, yeah, you, you, you know, and, it's, and they're all, you know, they're all, you know, even though they're all about music venues, you know, they all, you know, people would come at them from like a different angle, you know, some, you know, some people, it was like a, just a total kind of nostalgia thing. And, you know, other people, you know, maybe other folks like focused on like, you know, the specific bands they saw there, you know, or, you know, like the part of, part of town that it was in, you know, so yeah, it was just, it was, you know, it was interesting just to kind of see everybody's take on how they, you know, on how they, on how they approach it and everything. Um and have you have you seen the cover of
0: it uh, Armin I have but I'm, I'm what bands are on the on the marquee
1: of that It's weird cause, yeah because you would think it's like needles and pins and backstage pass you know two bands I'd never even heard of it's it's yeah. um and then you know coming March 9th Quiet Riot and then Hawkwind <laughs> and then uh, under that like Hawkwind and Nick Gilder
0: that that is crazy eclectic
1: Right, 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 right. And I'm saying, because at first I was kind of like, you know, do I really, you know, do I want, you know, I want something on the cover that like, you know, punk rock, you know, like the adolescence or the descent, you know, something like But But I was like, no, this is a really, this is a cool, you know, Todd and I were kind of both agree, but like, this is a really, really, a really, really cool picture. You know, and it's, and yeah, and we're like, you know, for this venue, it would be, it would be perfect, you know, it would definitely be perfect. So it's the, it's the Starwood. Starwood outside of LA is uh
0: okay gotcha
1: yeah <clears throat> but um yeah so when that some I don't know it may have been pooch you know pooch who used to write for flip side he, he actually did the Starwood. it may have been him who sent us that and said hey I think I know who took this picture this could be really cool for that yeah and I was like yeah this is like this is you know you know so after I <clears throat> you know got past whatever little prejudice I had against like, you know, quiet ride or anything. I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is like a, this is, this is a cool photo that would, that would totally work for the cover. So, so yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you for covering this and capturing this history that, like you said, you can't find a lot of information on these venues. And some of them were, you know, were around for such a short time that it's only in the memories of a handful of people. So thank you for capturing that. And I'm looking
1: forward to checking out the book. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely, for sure.
0: Tim, I think I'm out of questions unless there's anything you'd like to add.
1: Um, Man, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm still, you know, sometimes I'm still, I'm, I'm always on the hunt for like old, you know, like old issues of like conflict, you know, I have a pretty good collection, you know, or like, oh, what else, like, you know the early forced exposures you know i know they go you know they go for like big bucks but you know i still do love seeing that you know you know like the golden age of fanzines you know like the disaster and you know all those kind of like mid to late 80s zines um
0: yeah what a what yeah, <clears throat> yeah
1: it, was, it was right and oh i know what i want to talk about there was a um remember uh see here i mean you'd probably heard of it in new york city yeah
0: they they owed me money
1: actually (laughs) (laughs) i'm not not surprised me and my buddies our first trip to new york city to to, just to buy records was uh april of 1983 and this i remember i was um, you know we were like 18 19 and we had this older guy this older friend of ours basically he was like he's like go through the holland tunnel you'll come out on canal street park the car start walking around you'll find record stores we're like uh, okay all right we'll do that <laughs> that's kind of like that's kind of that's kind of what we it's kind of what we did so yeah the first couple of years all those record stores, you know they're all <clears throat> they're all long gone you know like um venus bleaker bobs you know you know those places uh
0: yeah
1: do you ever hear that shop uh nine nine it was it was a it was a label as well as a, um no i don't think so oh man i gotta i gotta send you this. I got a photocopy. There was this amazing article on 99 Nine records. I've got, I'll photocopy it and mail it to you. It's freaking awesome. It was, came out in the zine, the zine called tuba frenzy, which came out North Carolina zine, like back in the two thousands. But yeah, I, it was, I always thought it was 99, but they, I found out it was 99 Nine records. It, it was, it was a label. They did like ESG and, some of the funkier stuff um God, what else did they release liquid liquid like stuff yeah, like that That, that whole, that's awesome that's
0: a that's an interesting scene
1: to- totally but anyway this is the guy the guy ed bauman the guy who ran the he, he had this record store and we actually now i have to admit we actually went nine nine a couple times now i wish i could say i was looking for like early sonic youth stuff but we were probably looking for like Depeche Mode singles, and (laughs) hey, do you have the new Thompson Twins, and oh, do you have ABCs, The Look of Love 7, (laughs) like that's, that's, in 1983, that's the kind of stuff we were looking for, like total, total new waivers, Um, but we did go in 99 a couple times, but, but then after a couple years of going to New York, of going to New York City, I I think I started, somebody's like, hey, if you guys are into zines, there's this really great shop, Um, it's on I think it was like east third street or something um called see here so yeah we it took us a while but we found it was like in the basement it was really small really really small
0: mm-hmm. but yeah it
1: went in there and it was just like it was like whoa it was just it was awesome it was really really awesome you know just, you know, it, just scenes right just, yeah maybe a few books here and there maybe a few videos but pretty much yeah yeah zines yeah it, it, you know and then you know, once I started doing dagger, you know, I kind of, kind of got to know Ted, you know, Ted got free or got to know him a little bit. And he, you know, he would start carrying that and, you know, dagger never really had like a hefty cover price. So it wasn't like, if the guy ever did owe me, owe me any money, it might've been like 10 or 15 bucks. You know, it was never anything like, you know, never anything like crazy, but he was, um, he was, he was, in Ted was an interesting guy. He was, he was a Florida guy. So he would always, uh, he knew I came up from, from the Jersey shore. So he was like, Hey, how's the beach? And he would always ask me questions about the beach and which beach I went to. And, you know, what the waves were, he would always ask me like beach questions, which I always thought was kind of weird. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, once I started, you know, like 86, 87, that's when I started like finding like, you know, conflict, forced exposure, you know, chemical imbalance, you know, Mike, Mike McGonigal's old mag and God, just, you know, but just, you know, just a ton of others. It was, yeah, just, you know, really just kind of opened up a whole world to me finding that place. They ended up after a couple of years, I think by the early nineties, <clears throat> he had moved maybe early to mid nineties. He had moved to a spot on a much bigger place on St. Mark's place. And it was, I think it was kind of the beginning of the end. I think it was just, the rent was really high. And I think he was just, he probably just didn't sell enough stuff to make money to pay the rent that I think he, can't remember if you went back to back to other place where the small place where it was, or if it just closed. I can't remember, but um hmm. yeah, I don't think I don't think it lasted too much longer after that.
0: Like the idea of opening up a store that's basically mm-hmm. dedicated to zines is like the most kind of out there heroic thing you could do. Like what what is totally. going through your right. mind? Like I'm going to open up a store in New York City dedicated to like small press publications that like,
1: right right.
0: a tiny slice of the world, like even cares about, like it's it's a gutsy, pretty awesome thing to do.
1: Right, right, yeah, I, again, I, I think back in those early 80s days and where, he, where the shop was located, I think at that time, you know, I think Rent was still, you know, probably still in that area, you know, still cheap enough where he could, you know, he could really make it, you know, make it work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. He, right, Cause you would think like, how would he sell enough fans to even pay the rent? Um, but yeah, it, 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 you know, again, I think that, I think at that time, again, the rent was in the lower East side was probably pretty cheap. But then, yeah, once he got over to St. Mark's place and that much bigger thing, it just, yeah, just, it didn't, I'm, again, it was more expensive and just, you know, walking in there just didn't, just didn't have the same feel, just didn't have the same feel as, as the original, as the original location.
0: That's awesome. Man. Well, I hope, I hope we can look forward to a print dagger. There seems to be like a bit of a zine renaissance happening. Like it's it's kind of quiet, but but you do. The only social media I'm on is Twitter, and and you do you know every week or two I'll see like some new zine is being published, probably in like limited editions of like hundred or two hundred. But it's encouraging that they're still
1: out there. Right, right, and that and that was you know that was my thing. I was always just pretty much just into music zines. You know even like. In the 2000s, after you moved to Portland, they had the Portland Zine Symposium. It's not, you know, this really fancy word for like a, a, you know, like a zine thing that would go happen there once a year. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it was really cool, but you could just tell each year there'd be fewer and fewer, because I'm just a music zine guy. I wasn't really into like the, the personal zines or the comics, really. I was kind of more just music zines. And you could tell each year it really, do, I mean, there wasn't a lot to begin with in the 2000s, but yeah, you know, by the end, it really dwindled and there was pretty much by the end there i was like the only pretty much the only music zine it was to have like a table set up there it was it's kind of sad
0: and that is our show a big thanks to tim for taking the time to chat with us you can check out some of tim's writing at daggerzine.tumblr.com and from the sounds of it we can look forward to a new print issue of dagger at some point and of course please do check out where the wild gigs are which you can pick up directly from the good folks at Hosack Records and Books. And thanks to you for listening. Please feel free to reach out. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at rockritpod. Always nice to hear from listeners. Take good care. Bye for now.